Hello, and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer, not just for Louisiana, but for the entire Northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the January 28th edition of Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. What a week we've had, and what a week we're about to have. Uh, as now we have uh, uh, the end of the season is he, uh, right, up, right upon us, and uh, playoffs are, are coming on the pike. We always start off our show with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Take care. Thank you for letting us have this show and letting this show continue to grow. Uh, thank you for the audience that we do have, and... Uh, and I want to pray that we can continue to um, make this show better so that it can reach more and more people in the soccer world. And I pray for unity in the, in the Louisiana soccer. And I really like to have a special prayer that we do not split public and private in Louisiana. I'm thankful that we have a true state championship uh, process, and I pray that it not get watered down. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Yep, everybody, uh, uh, we had the state convention uh, this last week, and the 32-team uh, proposal failed. And I understand that 32 teams is uh, going to put a lot of weak teams into the playoffs, but we really have to be concerned with the rural um, uh, schools that are finally integrating soccer. I mean, in club soccer, we've been trying to get off of the interstates as long as I've been in soccer, and it's not happening. And uh, uh, it just can't. And uh, it, it's happening in little spurts here and there, uh, but not to the degree that it needs to happen to give teams, you know, like Vidalia, for example, a chance to really just step in there and compete for a state championship. And uh Letting them see championship level soccer is 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 a good thing, and uh, of course, yes, they'll probably get beat. But anyway, it's a, it's a mute point till next year. All right, we're gonna have uh, um, a twenty four team bracket with uh, with buys, first round buys. God bless those teams with buys because that's hard to deal with. All right, uh, we talked with um, Coach Keys last week about maybe perhaps having the twenty four teams. Uh, just go in without the buys. I, I'm definitely in favor of that, and uh, and then letting the teams just play out. Uh, but as it is, uh, the, the brackets are going to be made by the time uh, uh, y'all listen to the show uh, on Wednesday. If you're listening on the podcast, which most of you do, and uh, and this will be maybe our last year uh, with a real state champion. Let's pray that that doesn't um, happen in the future. That we don't have a split. High school uh, championship level because y'all, I'm telling you, I I cannot tell you who won state uh, <laughs> in volleyball or football. Uh, like all the state champions, there's just too many. I mean, I, you drive around the state like for these soccer games. Almost every stadium I go to, there's some sign saying that so and so is a state champion. It's like if everybody's a state champion, then what does that mean? You know, um, so. At least with soccer, if you say you were the Division Three state champion, you you were a champion. You had to beat the best public, the best private schools out there, and and you're the best. And 
Yes, private schools have an advantage in so many ways. But I'm going to tell you public school people. I went to public school. Public schools have advantages that, that the private schools don't have. Yes, there are some rich private schools. But, y'all, there are some private schools that don't have funding at all. Okay? And uh, and they have to wing it by the seat of their pants. Um, my budget's not that great here, for example. Um not enough to where I can host a bunch of home games. And uh, I think I'm ha- I have six home games total, and we played almost 30 games. So, you know, there's there's advantages and disadvantages uh, in both realms, and it evens out in the playoffs. So, anyhow, um, that's my rant about the 32. I also want to take this opportunity to uh, – Tip my hat to East Jefferson. We played them um, on Saturday, and man, that was a war. East Jefferson is one of the best teams in the state by far. Their tie with Jesuit kind of proves that. And uh, something happened at the end of the game that I didn't intend to happen, and I want to apologize publicly to uh, Coach Redenauer and everybody at East Jeff. I made a sub uh, towards the end of the second half just to get another player in that I really wanted into the game. And my player went off the field like they do in club ball, like off the opposite side of the field, which is not correct. I want my kids doing things the way it's supposed to be done. And I kind of jumped my kid for stepping outside uh, of the boundary, and I want him to come across the field. Well, while he was coming across the field, he got a yellow card, and then I realized that everybody in the stadium on the East Jefferson side probably thought I was trying to delay the game. I yelled at the referee at as much time as you want. I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to teach the kid the right way to come off the field and exchange his bib with the player that was coming on. So if it looked like I was trying to stall the game, I promise all of you, you everybody here who knows me, you know that uh, uh, I, I don't believe in gamesmanship, and I was definitely not trying to do that. And I want to congratulate East Jefferson for winning district. Our district is so hard, and uh, and to win that district outright is is a, a, quite an honor. So that's my rant for the day. Now, look, uh, we're going to cover just basically who are the people uh, uh, that look like at airtime are going to the playoffs. Uh, I'm talking about the bottom players, the teams that are on the bubble. Division, we always start off with the girls. For the girls, uh, you know, no big surprises there. Bird, St. Scholastica, Mandeville, West Monroe, Acadiana, and Dominican. Look at that. Public and private. All, 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 all mixed together. Uh, um, Dominican uh, and Mount Carmel wound up uh, coming on top of uh, – um, they played a pretty good game and tied uh, the other day. And so they're two teams to watch out for. The teams that are in the bubble are Airline, East Ascension, Slidell, and Hanville. Uh, teams that are on the outside looking into that bubble are Walker, West Jefferson, Denham Springs, and Zachary. All right, so some really, really good teams, um, and we'll see how it works out um, on Wednesday. And uh, But those are the teams that are sweating it out right now. In Division Two for the girls, the teams that are not sweating are St. Thomas Moore, Lakeshore, Neville, Destrehan, Central Lafouche. Again, a gumbo of public and private teams. Um, but the teams that are sweating right now, um, uh, are, these are teams that are on the bubble and they're looking in, are Natchitoches, of our, Natchitoches Central, Academy of Our Lady, South Terrebonne, and Beauchene. The teams that are knocking at the door are Haunton, Franklinton, Woodlawn, and De La Salle. So a lot of big things have to happen for those teams to be able to get into the playoffs. And uh, um, and so there's going to be a lot of sweating going on in the next couple of days. 
In Division Three, the top feeders are Vanderbilt, Turlings University, Archbishop Hannon, and St. Louis. Now, that's all private, okay? Uh, I'm pretty sure you count university as a private school. And so uh, I can see on the Division Three side, there, there, there's a lot of talk about public and private. But then there's a whole slew of schools that are public that are out there. The teams that are on the bubble are uh, Franklin Parish, West Feliciana, Pearl River, Opelousas, Grant, and Ursuline. Uh, excuse me, Grant. Out uh, from the outside in, Ursuline, Buckeye, Lutcher, and St. Martinville are sweating the power rankings out. And, man, when we're talking about sweating it out, we're talking about tenths of a point, in some cases hundredths of a point uh, with these power rankings. Now, in Division Four for the girls, the top feeders are Loyola Prep, ESA, Louise McGee, and Homer Christian. Um, and I want to add five, Sterlington. Okay, we had them on the show the other – the boys on the show the other day. Um, that's pretty impressive to be on the top uh, tier when you're just getting started. Uh, but the teams that are going to be sweating are St. Fred's, which that's a surprise to me, Lafayette Christian, Calvary Baptist, Thomas Jefferson, and Opelousas Catholic. On the outside, looking in is Westminster, Covenant Christian, St. Martin's Episcopal, and Riverside Academy. So um, uh, there's going to be a lot of people paying attention to a lot of the games uh, when it comes to the girls. When it comes to the boys, likewise. I mean, uh, and the boys, I mean, they got coaches who are just sweating out, coaches who are not reporting their scores. And uh, I even got chewed out on LA Prep because I didn't report a score that I forgot to I forgot to to change. It, it was postponed because of rain. It got changed to a different date, so it looked like I hadn't reported my scores. And man, people are just sitting on that like crazy. Uh, in the in the boys' situation, we've had some great results. Jesuit tying Holy Cross uh, is just one of them. But the top feeders in Division One are St. Paul's North Shore Jesuit and Saint Amant. Okay, but Catholic Baton Rouge is uh, knocking at the door, they, uh, and so we'll see how the power rankings shoot out for them. But the teams on the bottom that are sweating are Acadiana, Fountain Blue, Slidell, and Sulphur, and the teams that are on the outside looking in are some really good teams, Zachary, West Jefferson, Bonneville, and Grace King. And again, we're talking about tenths of a point separating these teams, so... It's going to come down to a lot of uh, number crunching. In Division Two, the top feeders are Holy Cross, St. Thomas More, Lakeshore, and Caddo Magnet. All right, but uh, the teams that are on the bottom sweating out are Terra Central, Riverdale, and Houghton. Four very good teams, and the teams that are knocking on the door are Karen Crow, Broadmoor, Ellender, and Westgate. All right, and time's running out. Uh, for those teams, you have teams with winning records there. Uh, um, uh, uh, Ellender is one of them and, uh, that, that are going to be sweating out the next couple of days. In Division Three, St. Louis, University, Turlings, and Loyola are sitting pretty. The teams that are on the bubble right now are Cecilia, Bolton, Morgan City, and St. Michael. Okay, uh, uh, the teams on the outside looking in are Union Parish, uh, which is only a few tenths of a point away from the 24 seed, Lutcher, International High, and Opelousas, okay? Uh, and on Division Four, ESA, Newman, Catholic New Iberia, and Episcopal Baton Rouge are the top feeders. But the teams on the bubble, uh, Evangel, Fisher, 
I saw them play this year. They're really good. Okay, Ascension Episcopal and Delta Charter on the bottom. Thomas Jefferson, we played them this year. They play hard. Christ Episcopal, we got a chance to beat them last week, barely, by the skin of our teeth. Country Day and Washita Christian. It'd be a shame to see those teams not make it. So uh, now here's a little caveat. Country Day might win their district and bump the 24 seed out. And uh, uh, that will be something uh, that would be tragic, I think, uh, for them. But that's just how the game goes. I think a district champion should be allowed to uh, be in the playoffs or a district championship means nothing. And here, here's the catch. I forgot to mention that Bonneville uh, might get in with the 10-9-4 record because they're the district champs, and that would knock Sulphur out. And Sulphur's got 11 wins and five ties. So, man, there's going to be a lot of sweating going on. There is a lot of sweating going on. And now and let me throw this curveball at you. The weather people have been frustrating all year long. Um, it's not their fault whether it rains or not, but it's it's hard to deal with whether or not, uh, you know, we should move games. And I've moved a game this weekend that – this last weekend that I really didn't need to move. There was a 100% chance of rain 24 hours before the game. The skies were ominous. When it came down to game time, it was fine, and we could have played the game. So uh, this winter storm that's coming, supposedly coming on uh, airtime right now, uh, Monday night, uh, uh, if it does come and bring snow and sleet, a lot of these games that were scheduled uh, on the 19th uh, for Tuesday, they're going to get washed out. And that, that might make the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. So so there's a lot of drama going on, things you can't control, but a lot of things you can't control. And that, that makes high school soccer so, so uh, fun <laughs> to watch. So, yo, it, the playoff time is here. Uh, we're going to be keeping up with it. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to say our next segment, we have a guy who've, who's reached a milestone uh, that, I don't know, can be reached by anybody else. Um, it, it might, I don't know, but Jason Ortling in 26 short years has hit 600 wins at St. Louis Catholic. And, uh, that is, I don't think the word milestone puts it, puts it, uh, accurately. Uh, what an accomplishment. Um, uh, we have a chance to talk to him at length, not just about his wins. And look, Jason's not the kind of guy who's going to tout himself or uh, talk about his accomplishments. Uh, he'll just like you know, he's going to be one of those cowboys that, uh, that like uh, Douglas MacArthur says, you know, just uh, f- slowly fades away. But his accomplishments can't fade away. He's a Hall of Fame coach, and uh, we talked to him at length. And really, we talked to him about the state of soccer. A guy like that, his opinion needs to be heard. And uh, if you stick around after the break, you're going to hear a very, very good interview with him. Uh, And he's got a lot of wisdom to convey, especially to all of you younger coaches out there. So let's hold on tight. We'll pay our bills. And then when we get back, we're going to talk to Jason Ortling about the state of soccer in Louisiana on Monday Night Football. Your voice for you, soccer. I'm Coach Allen. I'm head soccer coach at Dulles Island and also the director of coaching at Soccer Innovations. We'll see you after the break. It's no ordinary sports show. Candid conversation. We've got it all. Must have guests. Significant Louisiana sports figures. Serious knowledge. Post-game breakdowns, trivia, historical flashbacks, and my editorials. That'll make even the most diehard sports fans go wow. 
from the one guy who's always in the zone. It's what happens when you've been around Louisiana sports this long. The WGNO Sports Zone, Wednesdays at 1015. All right, everybody, welcome back to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. And we have with us on the line uh, a guy who needs no introduction, Coach Jason Ortling from St. Louis Catholic High School. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Well, look, uh, you just hit the 700 milestone. I can't even imagine what it's like to win 700 games. What did that feel like? Well, it was it was just 600 this, this time. Uh, oh, 600. Sorry, I gave you 100. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's all right. Uh, it, it felt great. I mean, it, it's a it's a great accomplishment uh, as far as personally, and I know that's the way it's seen. But but I've always seen it the other way. You know, to me, is it's six hundred wins to to have the opportunity to to be around those kids, to to be able to hopefully be a positive uh, example in their lives and, and motivate them to to do bigger and better things. The the 600 wins is, is great, but uh, to me, it's just, I think of the kids when I think of it as, you know, more than, than myself. And, and I think that's why you have 600 wins, you know, because those kids will die for you on the field, you know. Uh, anybody's ever seen a St. Louis game, uh, they know what I'm talking about. You know, there's a team celebration, a team camaraderie, there's consistency. And um, I know that players win and coaches lose, but coaching does matter, you know, and you really have set a tone uh, and you've put together a great staff, and uh, and really, I wanted to put you on the show because you're not going to toot your own horn, and uh, and and uh, and you really sh- should be recognized. And uh, instead of asking you, um, what was your best win, or because then you're going to have to single out a team, I'm going to ask you a weirder question: What was the win that was the strangest for you in all those years? Um, I don't know. It might've, might've been the one last year. Uh, you know, I, I think there were big wins along the way. You know, I still think about, you know, way back in 1997, um, you know, to put our program on the map. I mean, nobody had heard of St. Louis, uh, at all. Uh, and, and I was a graduate of St. Louis and then played for St. Louis, but nobody really knew who we were. And I still remember, uh, back then they used to have the Como tournament in Lafayette. And our first win that put us on the map was playing in the advancing in the tournament and playing in the semifinals uh, and beating Jesuit, which everybody knew who Jesuit would Jesuit was back then. So I think that's what kind of put us on the map. And then as far as strangest win, might have been last year in the uh, in the quarterfinals against Loyola, uh, going to uh, you know ended up winning the the game six to five. Loyola probably deserved it just as much as we did, and it was just kind of a back-and-forth uh, fourth game that not only ended 6-5 in overtime, but five goals were scored in the overtime period. So it was <laughs> wow. a pretty incredible game. <laughs> really? Five goals in overtime? Yeah, five. We, we blew two goal, two, two goal leads. Uh, eventually Loyola made it 3-3 three to, three to, to go at the end of the regulation, and then we went down. Uh, and, and to me, that's... You know, like you said before, to me, that's why you get into coaching. You know, you get into coaching to see if those kids can fight back and to motivate them. And to, and and they motivate me just as much because after blowing two two goal leads, it would have been so easy for our kids to to give up 
going down in overtime, and yet they came back, took a lead, blew a lead, and then came back and eventually won it. So uh, there's so many things that, you know, I, I know, once again, you know, I appreciate the, the kind words about me motivating them, but that's what motivates me still. You know, I still, 26 years later, I'm still loving it and enjoying it, and every every year is a, a new a new journey. Yeah, and uh, um, I was trying to tell that to my kids yesterday uh, that you really can't compare any team to any team. Every team is different. Every challenge is different. And when you're through growing and improving and and changing, you're you're through. You know? Do you think you'll ever retire? <laughs> I, I mean. I, you know, I think about it a lot, but I, I think about how much fun I'm I'm having, and 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 it's not all fun. I mean, I, I'm I'm frustrated too, just like anybody else. And and even with our wins, uh, you know, if we have a win, if we're not playing to to what I think is our standard, it's frustrating. But uh, to me, that that's the things that are worthwhile. I always, you know, we always tell the kids that if it was easy, then everybody would do it. Well. You know, I think sometimes we forget that as coaches. I think sometimes we want to take the easy way and we're not willing to put in the work. And I think that, uh, you know, I've always felt like I'm never going to ask a kid to work harder than I'm willing to work as a coach. And and hopefully I stay with that because if if I ever get to a point, you know, back to your retiring question, if I ever get to a point where I think that I know it all or think that, uh, you know, I'm above putting in the hard work, then I for sure need to retire. But the good thing is I'm still learning every day and I still have plenty to learn along the way. So, so hopefully maybe I've got a few more years in me. All right. The game has definitely changed in the last two decades. What do you think is the most significant change that you've experienced? I, I mean, as far as, as far as the game, I think obviously the skill level, uh, you know, has improved, but I, I think, I think it's, you know, you don't have, those dominant teams that you maybe have had in the past just because because so many schools are now getting involved in soccer you don't have you know everybody going to one certain school in an area or another certain school in an area i think because of you know club and and club has developed those skills but the kids are a lot more spread out uh in high school soccer so i think that that's you know when when you have a team that can kind of you know be be good all the time and and all that it just shows because uh, the the wealth is so spread out a lot that I think that in one way, well, maybe you don't have those super teams to where people say, well, the you know the skill level is not the same and t- teams aren't as good, and, and that that might be the truth. But I think it's just because soccer is such a growing sport, and as somebody that that loves the sport, I mean, to me, that's that's what it's all about. I, you know, it's great. I've always thought of Louisiana as being kind of a diamond in the rough because we've had kids that have gone on to to win the Herman Trophy at, in college soccer, and yet there's not a lot of coaches, you know, coming from college to beat down the doors of our kids. And we have so many great kids in our state that are just waiting for a chance to be seen. And I think, you know, and, and sometimes those college coaches won't see them uh you know, unless they're on a dominant team, but shame on them because we have some great kids. They're just a little bit more spread out nowadays. Yeah, I, I agree uh, totally. Now, when it comes to this uh, LHSA rule, let's go political now. Um, uh, the 32 teams not passing uh, this week. Uh, what's your take on that? 
Well, you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to be kind of at the top of the, the seating a lot of times, but so I guess my take is a little bit different from others because I, even though we've been fortunate, I am all about being more inclusive. Uh, you know, I think that to me, as you know, this year we've got a chance to be the number one seed. And if we were, if we would have played the 32 seed, then to me, I thought it, it was a situation where I've never thought it was a game that, well, I don't care about it or that uh, I'm mad because we have to play it. I always thought it was an opportunity of that 32nd team. Maybe that's the first time they've made the playoffs. And as the number one seed, it's my job to make their experience the best experience that they have. So that's going to build the sport at their school. They're going to kind of hopefully see, you know, what a program looks like that, that maybe does have that experience and, and does have that tradition. Um, you know, so I was for it. And, and it's it's unfortunate because I know how the LHSA, those meetings work. If one principal gets up there and says something negative, then the other was followed because, you know, there's a lot of principals that don't want to sit out in the cold during the winter and, and adding more games makes them, makes them have to do that. But shame on them because I think that, uh, you know, just in my opinion, I think we, we missed a step and, and we had an opportunity to continue to build the sport by maybe including more teams because it's eventually going to happen too. Uh, anyway, because there's schools that are adding soccer all the time and, you know, uh, maybe it waters it down a little bit, but I think it also builds it up a little, you know, a lot more than it, than it does water it down. So, uh, so I was disappointed in the vote and, and hopefully maybe the, the principals are, are get a little bit more knowledge on the subject in the future. Do you think this is leading to a public-private split? I, I'm afraid of that. I think that's, you know, to me, this was an opportunity for us to be more inclusive and, and try to avoid that because at the end of the day, there's not too many more, not too many sports in Louisiana that have a true champion uh, that has, that's played across the public schools, the private schools, and so on and so forth. So I hope that's not the, the beginning of the end. Uh, of us all being together because whoever wins the state championship this year in soccer, I mean, you know that you played the best, whether it be public schools, whether it be private schools. And even though I've obviously taught at a private school the majority of my life, I mean, I'm rooting for those guys, you know, just as much, you know, that I've never just rooted for the private school just because they're private. I, you know, I've rooted for those guys as, as coaches, as programs, you know, I'd love to see, you know, St. Amant win a game, you know, win a state championship, you know, Denham Springs. I know has a great program this, this year. Uh, Lakeshore has a great program in division two. I was very impressed with them. So I think there's some schools out there. And, uh, and to me, it's never been about public and private. It's about proving that you're the best team out there. Amen. And, uh, and it's really a state championship. I, I, what, what I don't like to see is, I could not name you all of the state champions in football. I really couldn't. When once upon a time I could, you know, right. and, and uh, it just waters it down. And uh, I, I dread that day. I told my kids uh, yes before yesterday's game that you know we really need to relish every minute that we have with this because it could happen, you know. And uh, and yesterday we played in a district game. It was public private, and it was an amazing experience. Hugging after the game was over, you know. And I, I like to bring people together, not split them apart, you know. Um, well, I, I, I think just to add to that real quick, the kids don't 
don't worry about all that stuff. You know, at the end of the day, this is an adult problem with a bunch of adults that have egos and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, those kids don't care who's the private school kids and who's the public school kids. They're just getting after it, having fun playing soccer, and, and they want to beat that other team, you know, just as much as that other team wants to beat them. And, and that's, I think, a lot of times what we lose sight of is that when we were growing up, we didn't worry about that. And these kids don't worry about that. So why as adults do we have to force our problems on them? Now, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. You don't have to answer this question. The professionalism, okay, seriously, you don't have to answer this question. The professionalism of the coaching in the last 20 years, going up or going down? Uh, I would say probably probably going down a little bit um, just because I think that, you know, by having so many, you know, once again, going back to when schools add their programs, I think sometimes they don't necessarily always um, you know, work as hard getting coaches as they do for the football team or the basketball team. And, and just because you might know soccer doesn't mean that you're the most, you know, knowledgeable influence on a kid or positive influence on the kid. And, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, that gets lost, um, you know, but then again, I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy, you know, so, so, uh, so those guys that, that I think about that, that, you know, and you and I have talked about, you know, and you being one of those guys that I always looked up to uh, growing up and Coach Ortner and, uh, you know, Coach Mueller and, and people like that. I mean, those, those guys are, are kind of gone by the, the side. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily always bad, but I think that we could all do a better job of being more professional. But that, that includes me too. You know, uh, sometimes we – uh, we all make mistakes, so uh, so hopefully it'll continue to improve the, the knowledge and the expertise and the, and the guidance for the kids. Now, this power rating business, um, a, a lot of teams, you know, know how to play the game. I, I got, I don't want to say lucky because I believe in God, but uh, so I got blessed this year in the fact that uh, I scheduled a, a schedule I normally would schedule with a, a program that I feel like has developed i found out that maybe i was wrong but the power ratings kind of worked in my favor because of the scheduling but a lot of people play the power rankings because that's exactly what they're doing and they wind up getting a seed that they really don't deserve and uh and it all washes out in the end um but uh best example last year was was jesuit getting a 15 seed you know i think it was a 15 and uh, right. what do you do? You think the power ranking system needs to be fixed? And uh, and if it's no, then please tell me. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, and, and we were kind of, you know, myself in particular was an advocate for the power ranking system only because at the time that you know the previous system that we had in place, it was a bunch of coaches and and we were ranking the the teams and and then you know compiling those and once again, we were lucky enough to, to be kind of at the top and a lot of times getting that number one seed. But I know that there were coaches that were making deals and, hey, I'll vote for you and you vote for me and let's make sure we don't vote for, for this team. And to me, that's not a very level playing field, at least with the power rankings. At least it is a level playing field. Now, can you manipulate it? Can you kind of rig your schedule to where you're not really playing a lot of good teams? Like you're playing a bunch of teams that maybe have some wins, uh, yeah. There, but at least 
everybody knows that going in and at least you know there's nothing going on behind the closed doors that that people are making deals because i think that's you know more of a a travesty than somebody getting in that doesn't deserve to be in or somebody having to a lower seed uh and as coaches i mean with everybody knowing that i mean you do have to kind of prepare for that i know that that was a big part of you know we we were the benefit uh beneficiaries of jesuit coming to our tournament this year because uh, because Coach Collins knew that, hey, he needed a few more games against Louisiana teams, and, and we were a tournament that helped provide that. He still had to, at the end of the day, he still had to win the games, but a lot of those games that he won at our tournament because he was playing such good competition helped propel him to the top five instead of being at 15 this year. So, so as a coach, you have to be knowledgeable, but I do think, I think there's always room for improvement, but I am glad that at least everything's on the up and up. Well, I'll tell you, this year, you know, I I wound up making sure that we scheduled, like, the top teams. I was really pleased that we got a chance to play you. And and I did feel uh, rewarded for that because, you know, we do get some of the credit of the, of the wins of the teams that we're playing. And I think you get better by playing people that can beat you, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I know you're in that, in that camp and usually that washes out at the end. The people who play the numbers game, it, it, it usually bites them in the end. And so far, yeah, I, I do agree with you. The back alley stuff, uh, I did not like, um, um, and I definitely did not like the old days where you could have really the two best teams playing in the very first game of the playoffs. I know. Did that ever happen to you? What was the most memorable uh, time in the 90s when you had to play like, oh, my, this is these, these guys could win state, and I got to play them in the first round? Right. right. I, probably, you know, we were very lucky because a lot of times, you know, it, it kind of worked against the Lafayette schools and the New Orleans schools. I remember – I remember for years and years, you know, St. Thomas More would be matched up with St. Paul's or, uh, you know, the Lafayette schools, you know, Lafayette or Acadiana would be matched up early with Jesuit or Brother Martin. So we were lucky, I guess, in, in Lake Charles because a lot of times we would be matched up with, with either Baton Rouge or Shreveport. But I think the first time we won state probably was the uh, the worst uh, seating that we heard, I say seating, the worst predetermined uh, playoffs that we had because we had to play Episcopal Baton Rouge. Wow. And they were really good in 1997. And, you know, that quarterfinal game was almost, you know, what I kind of thought of as a state championship, even though we had two more games to win. And, and at that time, we didn't know what a state championship was. So so looking back on it, that was a big game. And then also in the, in the early 2000s, um, we were always matched up with St. Thomas Aquinas who had a, had a great team and, and we were, they, you know, we were very fortunate to, to be able to kind of come out on top of those games. But, you know, I look back and I was, you know, I was thinking how awesome those games were, but also thought it was kind of, you know, kind of a little frustrating, I'm sure for St. Thomas Aquinas because they were definitely the second best team in the state, you know, those years that we beat them. And, um, and unfortunately, they lost in the quarterfinals or the semifinals that year just because of the way that we were matched up. Yep, been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, look, uh, uh, a parting note, uh, anything you would like to say to especially the young coaches who are listening out there that look up to you um, uh, as, they, as they're trying to develop their programs and move on ahead and take the mantle from us old people? No, I just – 
just like I said before, you know, um, as a coach, I think that we have to hold ourselves to a high standard. And I've always felt like, um, you know, you, you can never ask more from a kid than you're willing to give from yourself as a coach. And I think if you can do that and sometimes you're going to fail and that's all right, but at least you know that you tried, uh, to do everything that you could to help make those kids successful. And that at the end of the day, it's not about the success of the coach. It's about doing everything that you can to make that kid successful, not just on the field, not just off the field right now, but to make that kid successful 10 years from now, because they'll know what it feels like to work hard for something and to achieve something. And I think, uh, I think that we've got some, a lot of young coaches that I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm excited about what they've done and, and what they uh, continue to do. And, and, and I hope they love high school soccer as much as you and I, because if they do and they're willing to work, then the, you know, the future of high school soccer in Louisiana is going to be great. Well, Coach, and we're going to enjoy watching you in the playoffs, and hopefully we're going to have you back on the show talking about the, your latest state championship uh, a few weeks from now. Well, there's a, <laughs> I appreciate it. There's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then, but we're going to, we're going to do our best and, and see what happens, and, uh, and we'll be pulling for, for Dallas Al at the same time. All right. Thanks, Coach. God bless you and your family, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hello, this is Coach Alan DeRitter, and I want to invite all of you to take a closer look at De La Salle High School in New Orleans. De La Salle is a dynamic, inclusive community committed to academic excellence by evidence with our classrooms of the future, and of course, our commitment to athletics is second to none. Come take a look at DeLaSalleNOLA.com and schedule your spend a day today. That's DeLaSalleNOLA.com. You can advertise your business for as little as $50. Contact us to see our rates and get your business in front of the Gulf Coast soccer community. Follow us on Twitter at MNFUTBOL, as well as Facebook, or call us at 504-577-3131. Okay, that was a great interview, wasn't it? And uh, pay attention to St. Louis High School as they trek through the playoffs. And uh, I promise you, uh, any game you go watch them play, you're going to learn something. Now, uh, now's the time when the media starts to get interested, okay? Uh, and I want to just uh, tout that uh, if you're in the New Orleans area, or even if you're not, I mean, everything's online. WGSO, uh, Sports Zone that you heard advertised on the show, um, I'm going to be on there a few times. Uh, we'll try to tweet out uh, when I'm going to be on with Ed Daniels. And, uh, and also, uh, he has a show called Friday Night Sports where he's going to cover soccer as well. Uh, not just me either. He tries to get a lot of coaches on board. So it's a chance for us to have coaches uh, on live TV. So be looking for that. Of course, uh, monitor us at Monday Night Football at uh, MNFUTBOL on Twitter and on Facebook. And again, if you want to advertise, now's the time to get your to get your message really listened to by everybody. Um if you sell soccer equipment or or you just want to reach out to the soccer demographic, contact us at both of those uh, areas. Uh, you can give us a private message on Facebook or at MNFUTBOL, or you can call me directly.
directly, 504-577-3131, and we'll cut you the ad. Uh, very affordable rates, and uh, and it will be listened to statewide. So um, that's our plug for that. I wish all of y'all the greatest uh, sportsmanship in the playoffs. Please keep that in mind. Uh, someone has to lose these playoff games. We play, for those of you who don't know, if it ends in a tie, you have two overtime periods at 10 minutes of length. Then you have those two dreaded five-minute uh, overtime periods. If that ends uh, in a tie, then you go to your penalty kick shootout. But there's going to be a loser. We need the winners to be gracious, and we need the losers to be humble and uh, and also gracious towards the winners, you know, because uh, uh, somebody's got to move on. Uh, not everybody gets a trophy in the real world. And so far in soccer, uh, we have that luxury. So um, everybody uh, support your region in the playoffs. Go see games that have nothing to do with you uh, when it comes to your fan base. Just watch the games and enjoy them. And uh, this time only comes once a year. To me, this is like Christmas time. Well, we'll see you next week. And uh, again, I wish you all the best. Uh, and Carpe Diem in Christ. Uh, this is Coach Alan DeRitter signing off. Take care.